Well, hey, welcome to the July edition of the Watermark Equipping webinar. My name is Nathan, and I serve here on the equipping team. And I am joined on my left by... This is Nika Spaulding, everybody, Director of Women's Equipment at Creek Kilham, and excited to hang out with everybody today. Yeah, and then our questions moderator today is Miss... Sylvia Bateman. I'm sorry, Mrs. Mrs., that's right. That's right. Still, still three months fresh of the last name change, that's but... Yeah, I'm the stewardship and equipping coordinator here at Watermark. Awesome. And then uh, we're joined um, by our, our guests today are uh, two guys that um, one of them is a good friend and uh, the other one is a recent friend. Uh, but our, our first one is, is Dr. Micah Edmondson. He's the pastor of New City Fellowship OPC for, for uh, you watermarkers who have no idea what OPC means. That's uh, the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. And uh, he recently, I think, Micah, you just recently graduated with your Ph.D., is that right? That's right, yeah. Uh, actually, it was, uh, it was in 2015, uh, May of 2015, but I'm still a newbie. <laughs> uh, and, yeah, I graduated uh, from Calvin Seminary with a, a degree in systematic theology. Yeah. Awesome, perfect. And you wrote your dissertation on what? On Martin Luther King Jr.'s redemptive suffering theodicy. So his... His approach to the problem of suffering and evil. That's awesome, man. I love it. Well, we're blessed to have you here. We appreciate you taking the time to jump on with us. He's all the way in uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan. So um, uh, we're just blessed to have the technology to, to uh, pipe him into this conversation. And then also we have uh, Philip Ward, who is a Watermark Residency alumnus and has, mm -hmm. has uh, graciously joined us uh, again today. Philip, welcome, man. Hey, great to be on. Let's just go ahead and jump into the the topic here. Obviously, the last week has been really uh, difficult for us uh, as as a nation, um, but especially here in Dallas. And so, uh, just to recount, I mean, obviously, uh, most everybody knows what's happened, but there were uh, last week there there were two police shootings that got highlighted in the news: one in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and then the other one in uh, Wisconsin, wasn't it, or Minnesota? Um, do you Minnesota. know, Micah? Minnesota. It was Minnesota. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. St. Paul area. Yeah. yeah, that's right. St. Paul. So those uh, two black men were were shot and killed by the police. And then in a uh, Black Lives Matters protest here in Dallas, Texas, there was a a shooting, a really an ambush style shooting against the police um, where, where white officers were targeted. And we actually buried one of them yesterday, um, had a funeral ceremony for him here at Watermark. And uh, the subsequent graveside service. So, man, this is a really hot topic issue in our country right now. And we as Christians in, in every situation have a responsibility to minister the gospel. Um, but but I know for a lot of people, especially at Watermark, predominantly a white church, predominantly affluent church, sometimes get really confused on what's going on, what's happening. It's hard for me, I'll just personalize, it's hard for me as a white male to sometimes uh, empathize with what my black brothers and sisters are going through. And so where we want to start today, and Philip, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, mm -hmm. is um, as a young black man in America, what, at, at the risk of sounding uh, trite, I don't want to sound trite, but what is it like to be a black man in America? I mean, what are the things that are differentiate your experience from what you what you see in the white community yeah uh so first i just want to throw out the throw out the disclaimer that um i don't speak for all black people you know i can only speak from my from my own experience but i do think that there is a shared experience of being a black man you know and so 
growing up, I grew up in a predominantly white area and uh, had, you know, mostly white friends and then switched to a high school with more Hispanic and black people, you know, made Hispanic and black friends. And then I went to a predominantly black college. So mm-hmm. I had two completely different experiences of, of two different worlds. And I think that kind of uniquely shaped like the way I related to people. And I've always just tried to view people as, as people, you okay. know, yep. but in those instances, there there have been instances of like blatant, you know, profiling, racial profiling, uh, racism. I remember being like five years old and the kid we're playing soccer and the, the kid tells everybody, don't play with the black boy. Mm-hmm. And so it's like stuff mm-hmm. like that that's embedded in your in your brain that makes you just think like, are all people like this, you know? And so um, I don't think there has been a day like in my life, as far as I can remember, that I didn't have to think about the fact that I'm a black person. You know, yeah, yeah. like every in, in every instance, I'm always having to think that I'm, that I'm a black guy. You yeah. Know? And, and people not only do I have to think about it, people remind me of, yeah. it, you know, <laughs> they feel <laughs> make, jo- make jokes <laughs> yeah. about it yeah, or whatever, yeah, you yeah. know. So, yeah, I know. I remember. So I, uh, at Christmas time here at Watermark, we always celebrate as a staff. And I remember at Christmas, what was your Christmas present to yourself? I, I bought a pistol. Yeah, yeah, you bought a pistol and you yeah. got your license to carry. Yeah. Right. Which in Texas, I mean, allows you to in, in certain places conceal carry, but then also open carry. You know, and uh, and what did you do with that after um uh, the Philando Castile shooting. Oh man, I put that gun in the house, man. Yeah. And I, I mean, I want to ride around with it in my car because, you know, you never know. You want to protect yourself, but uh, I don't want to run the risk of of getting shot. Yeah, know? yeah. And I would just tell you as a as a white man who also has my license to carry, like I that that thought did not even cross my mind. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, I still carry where where appropriate. Yeah. You know, and um, so. Um, but I think, too, in, in our conversation we had the other day, Philip, um, mm-hmm. just about and you, you just reminded me about the fact that, hey, we're only we're really only 150 years removed from our nation being in a civil war where yeah. slavery was common. You mm-hmm. know, so talk to us a little bit about um, kind of as as a black man and looking at the history of our nation, how some of that and, and maybe even a lot of it still is associated um, in the black community with the history of our nation. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, like I was telling you, we're, we're about 150 years removed from from the end of slavery, uh, 50 years removed from Jim Crow. And a lot of those people are still alive. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of those people who still have that racial uh, hatred and tension are still alive. And not only that, it, it has been passed down to their kids, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, especially as the church, um, the church had was segregated, you know, and the church was wrong on race for for a long time and often gets it wrong. And so what I want to tell people is um, we kind of have two problems in America right now. We have an awareness problem and we have an apathy problem. And so the awareness problem comes in in the fact that if you don't have a, a close circle of people who are diverse um, around you, who who are who are black, you might not understand. You might not understand at all. You might not even be aware of the fact that, hey, as a black man, there are certain things that I th- have to think about and it may make no sense to you mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and then there's an apathy problem when I tell you these things and you completely invalidate me, mm-hmm. you know, invalidate my my personal experience. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, in any situation that's going to blow up with the fiance, a wife. 
wife comes to you and totally. tells you her feelings, and you just you just like, no, you shouldn't feel like that. <laughs> what? Yeah. Boom. Yeah, That's right, the blow up right, point right, right there. Yeah. You know. Micah, we've we've had the privilege of just reading some of your stuff on the Black Lives Movement matter, and I think you spoke to this as well of just. Um, the initial response some people had to the hashtag Black Lives Matter, and you talked yeah. about how implicit in the Black Lives Matter is the idea of all lives matter. You want to unpack that for us? Right, right, right. Thank you for uh, for asking. Great question. Uh, I think this is one of the common misconceptions about the concept Black Lives Matter um, is that a lot of people feel like it means Black Lives Matter only, when really what it means is Black Lives Matter too. Um, I think we get this sort of, uh, within sort of conservative evangelical circles, we sort of get this when it comes to the unborn. We understand that uh, in order to, that, you know, uh, that in a, in a society where children are disparaged and demeaned and to the point of, uh, of having their lives snuffed out before they see the light of day, uh, we have to say in a very forthright way, in a very clear way, that children's lives matter, that the lives of the unborn matter. Um, that doesn't mean that adults' lives don't matter, but it means that in this context, we have to say clearly that children's lives matter. And very similarly, uh, when it comes to African Americans who have been historically disparaged and dehumanized and demeaned uh, for, for centuries here in the United States, uh, we have to say in a very clear, forthright way that black lives matter. It doesn't mean that white lives don't matter, but in this particular context, um, uh, black life as black has been historically, uh, systematically, and in very deep ways demeaned and dehumanized. So, uh, so they have to say very clearly, Black Lives Matter. That's great. You know, one of the one of the other misconceptions we've heard talked about recently, and I've heard um, both of you in different contexts touch on this: is this when you when in generality, when you talk to a white person about race, they think in terms of individuality. You know, they think, "Am I a racist? Do I mm -hmm. perpetuate these stereotypes?" And then a lot of times when you talk to the black community about racism, for them, it's about it's about systems in place. It's about community. Mm -hmm. It's about a larger mm -hmm. thing going on. Would, and, and so would you like to just touch on that misconception that so many times when we have this conversation about race, we're not even starting from the same place? Right, right. I, you know, I could we could I think we can touch on it in, in multiple ways. I think we could touch on it sort of theologically speaking, um, because one of the great um, one of the great sort of theological concepts that doesn't get a lot of play is the idea of covenant, right? That God has revealed himself as a God of covenant. And, and in revealing himself that way, uh, what God has done is actually showed us and communicated to us that, uh, that sin and grace can both be communicated covenantally, that is, by way of a system and individuals, you know, so that, uh, and you, you even think of it, uh, when you think of it in terms of what, what, are, what are sort of the, the enemies of, of the Christian faith? Well, it's the world, the flesh, and the devil, right? So, so the world is this kind of world system. You know, it's kind of a, a communal societal system. A lot of times in, in evangelical, uh, conservative evangelical circles, we talk about the culture, right? And the culture is, is communal, right? Whenever we talk about the culture does this and we've got to be countercultural or, or uh, going against the grain of culture, we're talking about the ideas that culture as society communicates to us. So I think the church um, is interesting. I think, I think that we can think communally, um, but I think we're oftentimes selective in the, in the things that we choose to assert communally. So we can, we can talk about, for instance, the way in which culture communicates negative views of sexuality to us. 
We can talk about the way in which culture communicates negative views of 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 all kinds of issues. Uh, you know, when it talk again, if we were to talk about the issue of being pro-life, we can say, look, our culture uh, demeans children, and it communicates these these ideas to us. But when it talk when we talking about racism, then suddenly we sort of back up. And we don't want to. <laughs> we we don't want to say that that it's culture and and society that's communicating these ideas to us that somehow uh, we've just got we just have these sort of individual racists that walk around with uh, white sheets on them or with swastikas and and that's not really the I think that's uh, that's like the most severe expression right. but that's not uh, that that's not really the most common expressions. Yeah, I think so. As as a white male who grew up in the South, I know and and grew up Christian. I mean, I grew up in the Southern Baptist Church and uh, was in church like a week after I was born. You know, um, but uh, but I know for me, when this topic typically came up, I rarely, if ever, thought about it communally. And one, I think that was probably uh, definitely a deficiency in the way the church handled the issue. But then also, I do think as well as as white people, we tend to when someone says or even implies that, hey, you're a racist, it becomes it becomes something about like me individually. Right. And I'm like, no, I'm not. And be- because I'm not, then, you know, th- I think t- typically there can be an, an apathy on our end because it's like, yeah, but I, I mean, I'm not a racist. So why would I? I mean, I'm sitting across from a good friend of mine right now mm-hmm. who's who's a black brother and I'm sitting here going, you know, how how am I responsible for this? Mm-hmm. You know, how am I responsible as a 21st century, you know, young white male who mm-hmm. you know, sees my brother as a as a Christian? And I right. think we fail to see the the institutional nature of exactly. uh, of of race. And yeah. so, exactly. and because of that misconception, we think individually, I have not contributed to this problem. Right. Therefore, it's right. not my problem right, 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 to help right. drive light right. in dark places. Mm-hmm. When in fact. The gospel speaks very clearly that anytime there's injustice, anytime there's mm-hmm. prejudice, anytime there's something that's not in accord with God's will and God's character, as believers, we are compelled and we should desire to seek to to do something about that. And mm-hmm. so, you know, guys, what? how do you see how the gospel informs this issue of race? Because you guys aren't just black men. You are black Christian men. And and so obviously the gospel is going to have to be central to what mm-hmm. what you believe about this. And so why don't you guys speak to that? Well, I'll jump in. Um, the gospel uh, for me puts everything in perspective as, you know, we're all created in the image of God. Mm-hmm. You know, when you look at when you look at someone, whether they be Christian or not, they're created in the image of God. Mm-hmm. And if you if you start from there, I think that's that's the starting point. You mm-hmm. know, if you can start from there and work out from there, uh, everything just becomes more clear. Even that policeman that you as a black man, you may be slightly afraid of. He's created in the image of God, too. You know, as as a a person, you know, who's white and you're looking at this black dude and he looks like he's a thug. That person's created in the image mm-hmm. of God, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I would say, you know, uh, it's interesting. Um, the gospel really calls us to work toward dismantling systems of entrenched sin, mm-hmm. wherever they be. And so, for instance, um, if you look at if you looked at uh, you know Mark chapter eleven, what you what you would see is uh, this is this is the this is when Jesus returns to Jerusalem. He is uh, he is, he comes in at a triumphal entry, and he is uh, he returns to the temple the next day. His intention is to cleanse the temple, and what he finds is he finds that 
that the Jews, the religious leaders of the day, had because, because of racialized sin, because of ethnocentrism, had actually allowed the court of the Gentiles uh, to be turned into this noisy, smelly livestock exchange. You know, this was supposed to be, they, they had protected the inner areas of the courts uh, where they worshipped, but they had, a, because of sin, because of racialized sin, they had allowed the outer courts of the Gentiles, again, to just be completely turned into some place where you would not be able to pray, you know, in peace. And Jesus see Jesus smells the ethnocentrism. He smells the racism in this system, and he's infuriated by it because he knows that the temple is is really meant to point to the coming Messiah. And this is a complete repudiation of what the gospel is about. Mm-hmm. And so he actually, in anger, uh, he he, and in and in great zeal, he completely overturns the tables. He drives out the merchandisers, and he refuses to let anybody pass through the courts. And what he's doing there is he's actually dismantling an entrenched uh, 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 system of, of racialized sin. He's actually dismantling it right before their very eyes. And he restores that house to a house of prayer. And then he, then he quotes a, a passage from Isaiah um, that, that, that says that God's house shall be called a house of prayer for, yeah, all, for all peoples. Yeah, for all so, the so yeah, yeah, for all the nations. Yeah. So what we see is that, is that Christ has a great zeal not only to expose racialized sin, but to actually dismantle it, right? Um, and so I th- and, and and what that is is that's really good news for uh, for folks who are on the bottom of that system, right? Can you imagine how the Gentiles felt when they saw this Jewish man go up and and just totally dismantle this system that had been subjugating them, you know, and, and allowing them full access to worship in the house of God. I mean, they, I mean, they must have been sitting on the side like, go, Jesus, go, you know, like, give it to him, you know? <laughs> you know? I mean, because there's a, there's a tremendous emancipation that's happening there. Yeah. Um, there's a tremendous freedom, and that's, that freedom is part of the gospel. Yeah. That, that's a dimension of the gospel that sometimes we don't emphasize, but, but we see Christ clearly uh, uh, doing that for his people. So we, as his people, I think are called to follow and, to, and where we can to actually uh, work toward dismantling systems that perpetuate racialized injustice and sin. Yeah, yeah that's great, man. So I think both of you guys are getting at a point that's going through my mind right now, and, and, and both of you stated it, I think, in different terms, but talking about the image of God and, and having a biblical just anthropology or, or a view of, of, of how, do we, how do we view humanity um, in light of the gospel and to see instead of uh, kind of the like you mentioned before, you know, the Ephesians 2 passage, Micah, just the, the world, the flesh, the, the devil, the enemy, um, instead of being influenced by these things. And um, projecting onto our brothers and sisters who are not like us an inferiority or a um, just a, a dismissiveness about them um, really is is an indictment on our view of God because um, I, I don't believe that the Bible teaches that just white people are made in the image of God Absolutely. or that just black people are made in the image mm-hmm. of God or Hispanics or Asians or whoever. Um, but I think you see the beauty of this this tapestry of um, all races. I mean, Revelation is really clear about this, that every tongue, tribe, nation 
is going to be um, before the throne worshiping God forever. And, and that there's something about the totality of all races together mm-hmm. that enhances and brings out the, in a more full way the image of God that we just wouldn't have if we were only just looking at ourselves in the mirror. Yeah. Um, go ahead. Go ahead. Philip. Yeah. So, I mean, I'll hear, th- I'll hear this said too, like, Hey man, like I don't see color. I'm colorblind. Yeah, yeah, you know, I'm yep, colorblind. Yeah. Don't 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 do that. Don't, <laughs> you get your eyes checked. Don't, don't, you know, don't yeah. don't rob me of my blackness. I love yeah. I love yeah. being black. You yeah. know, I love being who God created me to be. And so, I, yeah. like you were saying, like every, all of us together makes this beautiful picture. Right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, I've heard Tony Evans say it where you know he goes, the goal here is not sameness, it's it's oneness mm-hmm. in Christ. And you think about it as Nate was expanding on that point, when we get to heaven where all iniquity, all sin, everything that's wrong in this world would be vanquished and mm-hmm. yet our race is still Remains. there. So that's obviously that's right. something valued mm-hmm. in God's eyes. And that's obviously something then we should value. Whatever's gonna be in heaven is the stuff that we should seek to celebrate and bring into fruition on this kingdom here on earth. And so that that point cannot be lost. So if you if you in your heart have these check moments where you go, gosh, I just I don't like this particular group of people. And then you have this moment, you go, but I will be with them around mm-hmm. the cross of Christ mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Something's broken now than in these yeah. feelings. Right. Right. And I think we all have those feelings. Yeah, sure. no doubt about it. No doubt about it. Sure. Yeah. That part about yeah. it. Yeah. I, you know, this is something that the Lord has deliberately placed in the gospel itself. You know, it's uh, sort of historically, this has been known as what's known as the Catholicity of the gospel, uh, kind of small c Catholicity of the gospel, the universality of the gospel, that it, so it's not just a gospel for the Jews, it's not just a gospel for one ethnic group, but, um, but the Lord, when he came to Abraham and he announced the gospel, he said, it's through your offspring that all the nations shall be blessed. Mm-hmm. You know, and so right from the very beginning, you see God's intention for uh, people of ethnic differences, you know, for for black folk and white folk and, 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 and Hispanic and Latino folk and, and all kinds of folk, uh, it, it is his, it's, it's the glory of Christ to be made a light to the nations, to, to show his lordship over, over people from every tribe, nation, and tongue. So, so yeah, that's part of the gospel itself. Yeah, we become it's almost as if we forget, you know, we almost take for granted the gospel in some ways. And you imagine being a Gentile as Mm -hmm. Jesus comes and gives himself on the cross and then Pentecost happens. And it's still this sort of Jewish movement that then after, you know, Peter has his vision and the the blanket comes down Mm -hmm. and and God tells him, hey, go share the gospel, go to Cornelius's house, go. And suddenly as a blonde haired blue eyed woman, I can read that passage and go, oh, praise God that he opened up the door to the Gentiles, even though Mm -hmm. I would argue God has always made room for the the foreigner and the and the the sojourner among him but you see it in a very clear compelling way where the door is thrown wide open but then you fast Absolutely. forward 2000 years and suddenly we're like trying to close that door back up yeah. and forget <laughs> what it must have felt like in that moment to be Cornelius and his family and think what a beneficiary I've been and far be it for me to do anything other than keep that door as open right. wide as we can yep. in the gospel message. Love it. Absolutely. Absolutely. We remember the first person to confess Christ as the son of God uh, after the crucifixion, was a Roman centurion. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> which, you know, if you're, if you're following through the Gospels, this is the last person yeah. Yeah. that you would have ever expected. You know, I mean, this is a guy, and not just a Roman centurion, but one who was watching the cross, one who actually took part yeah, he was in the crucifixion. Yeah. Yep. You know, and, uh, and and the temple, you know, the, 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 the veil is rent in two, and, and, uh, and, and the Lord provides access, a, a new and living way. Uh, to his throne for all peoples, and this man sees it. It's interesting also that in that vision, when Peter sees that uh, sheep let down from heaven, the Lord doesn't just tell him, go preach to the Gentiles. He tells him, rise up, Peter, 
kill and eat. And this is interesting because this is, I think, gets into a real key issue that people face today. When, when God tells Peter to rise up and kill and eat, he's not just telling him uh, to go and preach to the Gentiles. He's telling him to go and live life yep. and worship with the Gentiles. And he starts by telling Peter to eat like a Gentile. Mm. Now, that's fascinating because mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> that's like, you know, that, I mean, because Peter's a Jew. Who had who had never eaten like a gentile? Yeah, it's and, and scandalous. In, yeah, and, right, scandalous. I mean, I mean, this was like, and this was an entrenched cultural practice for him. And this would have been, I mean, and then the Lord makes him go through this entire process of killing these animals that he considered to be unclean and actually eating them. And what he's showing Peter is that, as again, not just that he's supposed to go and preach to these folks, but that you have to go and you have to disciple them and live life with them and eat like them, and dress like them, and, and not to call, not just them, but not to call their culture unclean. And you know, um, that's, I think, where the rubber meets the road. Because I think people will look at others and say, hey, you know, I can say sort of intellectually, sort of uh, in my mind, that that person is made in the image of God. And I don't actually have any kind of negative feelings about that person, but when it comes to worshiping the way they worship, yeah, and actually <laughs> living yeah. life the way they live life, well, that, 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 you know, I'm not going that far. You know, I'm not going to go that far uh, and actually sort of empathize and put myself in their shoes. Well, what's funny, Micah, is is to tell the rest of that story. Peter withdraws from the Gentiles and doesn't, them. and it, it takes another brother to come up to him and rebuke him and be like, "Hey, man." That is not the gospel. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. This is out of step with the gospel. Yep. And, you know, it's fascinating because I think most people wouldn't even think that that's a gospel issue. Yep. I think most folks would say, well, look, that's just your sociopolitical persuasion. Mm-hmm. Right? If you don't want to hang out with these folks, look, they can go to church where they go to church. We'll go to church where we go to church. Mm-hmm. Hey, you know, let's just, be, let's just agree to disagree and be separate. But, but Paul says very specifically in Galatians that this is out of step with the gospel, that the unity in Christ... Uh, uh, ethnic unity, uh, 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 the unity of diverse peoples, diverse, diverse ethnic people in Christ is, is part of the gospel itself. Yeah. That's good, man. So, yeah, we've had a couple questions come in just about the practicality of how to come together as a community and as a society. And so you guys may be going into this a little bit later, but two part question is, hey, in regards to the Black Lives Matter movement, depending on where you hear news in your sources a lot of times you're going to hear different sides and so the question was posed is hey what can be done to educate people as a whole to really understand the the real meaning behind that movement and then the second piece is hey as christians how how do we go across some of those boundaries that maybe society has created and especially if you know this this particular person had hey we live on the opposite side of town we live in south dallas like what are some ways we can come together and so that that two-part question Mm -hmm. Yeah, so Mike, I'm uh, I'm I'm not going to assume that you're familiar with Dallas because I don't know, but um, yes, yeah, the, the South my Dallas. My best friend lives in Dallas, though. Okay, I, I, I don't. I, <laughs> I have not been so privileged, but my best buddy from the third grade lives in Dallas. <laughs> nice, <laughs> nice. Yeah, so South Dallas is a predominantly African American community, um, yeah. and and uh, that that's the context of the question. So okay, okay. Um, I would say first of all, uh, really, if you want to know more about Black Lives Matter. I would say go to their website and actually see what they say about themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't think uh, now I don't I don't carry a brief for everything Black Lives Matter says, 
Um, I, I, what I and I, I believe in critical engagement with the movement, but uh, that is because the core sentiment of the of the equal value and dignity of black life is a biblical uh, teaching and truth. And so I think that what the church and it, and it's really in some ways it's an indictment it's an indictment against the church that it took people from outside of the church to stand up and say something that we should have said a long time ago mm -hmm. you know um, that uh, that that black lives have equal dignity and worth as every other form of life in the United States. Yeah, um, let me just jump in here just for folks to know. Part of why he's even saying this is the people who predominant voices that you would contribute to starting the Black Lives Movement um, are actually women and who identify as queer and they're not a part of the Christian faith. And so that's who's starting this movement. And yet they're starting a movement that has values entrenched in the Christian values. And mm -hmm. so it is an indictment of the Christian church to go, why is it people outside of our community are raising the flag of value that the church should have been raising yeah. the flag of values for? Yeah. Micah, in your, in your, um, is Black Lives Matter the new civil rights movement? You kind of highlighted that one of the differences was in structure of Black Lives Matter versus, you know, the civil rights movement was the leadership structure. And I, that was something that I, kind of been screaming it's like hey who's behind this and what is the structure of this and I've, i i think it's because we live in a social age that people have kind of just ab uh, adopted the hashtag you know and black lives matter is not based in the church and right from from your perspective like you know wh what do you think is like the ultimate goal um do you think churches should be more entrenched in the black lives matter movement and I, and i'll just throw this out because I think everybody thinks if you're black and you say anything about what's going on, you're part of the Black Lives Matter movement. You know? <laughs> right. And, you know, and, 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 and I'm not, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't posted the hashtag once. You know, yeah, I'm black. Right. I like matters. You know? yeah, yeah. Right. 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 That's exactly right. Uh, well, I would say this. So as I said before, I think I think critical engagement is important. I, I lament that there is not a conservative evangelical alternative to Black Lives Matter, yeah. right? And I just feel like we've got to be really careful with how we talk about people who are doing some of the things that we haven't done mm -hmm. and, what we are, and, and, who rec and, who, and who in some ways have more moral sense than we do, Absolutely. right? No. Uh, so I just, you know, so I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit, I'm a little perplexed about the thing. I, I feel like, you know, I feel like if, if, if the church today wants to see a a, uh, a kind of a more, a kind of a, a church-based articulation of the value of black life. They can just look at the civil rights movement. You know that that is a very clear church-based uh, articulation, a powerful articulation. Uh, one, the, I would say, perhaps the most powerful articulation within the history of our nation of the of the dignity and value of black life. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, and if if they know what they're, if folks know sort of know what they're looking at. You know, it can really provide a lot of instruction for what to do today. So, you know, I would say that we need to try to make common cause where we can. Um, again, the church has been able to do this when it comes to the life of the unborn. You'd be surprised uh, with the way in which churches have found ways to make common cause with people who are even not Christians mm -hmm. around pro-life issues. Yep. And so uh, I feel like we can do the same thing when it comes to uh, pro-life issues as it pertains to black life. Mm -hmm. That's great. So.
So what what would you guys say if you had an opportunity to reach out and just, you know, talk to your white brothers and sisters who are in the evangelical movement and go, what is what do you see as the church's responsibility for everybody? And then what are things that if you had the opportunity to talk to your white brothers and sisters that you'd love for us to know, to hear or even just just to understand? Uh, I, I would say uh, I think the biggest misconception about these issues is that I think and this was uh, this is particularly to gospel people. I think gospel people need to know that these are gospel issues, and I think that that's kind of, you know, that 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 presents a tremendous challenge for people because a lot of times people won't engage and they won't talk about these issues because they say, "Look, I'm all about the gospel and I'm not about this," mm. you know. Mm. But when we get together as a Christian community, let's just talk about Jesus and not talk about this. Mm -hmm. And um, what they don't understand is that, you know. Um, that, 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 that Jesus, the, the, the Jesus that we all worship and agree, agree about, he cares very deeply about these things. And he's come to, to establish a gospel that has some very clear things to say about these issues. Uh, if you were, for instance, to look at Luke chapter 3, um, you, you know, John the Baptist is preaching about the coming Messiah, and, uh, and folks are asking him, well, you know, what do we do? Like, how do, how do we repent in light of this coming salvation? And, and it's interesting because a group of soldiers in Luke 3.15 approached John the Baptist, an ancient version of the LAPD, basically. <laughs> uh, they approached John the Baptist, and they say to him, well, what should we do? You know, I mean, how do, how do, we, how do we police uh, it, to the glory of God? How do, we, how, do we, how do we carry out our vocation in a way that, that honors the coming salvation um, that the Lord is revealing? And he gives them some very specific, detailed instructions about justice in policing. Uh, he, he looks at them and he says, he tells them to stop extorting people and stop falsely accusing people and to be content with their wages. Mm -hmm. And so in other words, uh, the, the, the police at that time, because of sin, uh, and we shouldn't be surprised, because of sin had a tendency to over-assert over and abuse their authority. And, 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 and this was a widespread practice because of sin. But what John says, really what the, what the coming salvation of the Lord calls us to do is to be much more careful about how we exercise our authority over people who are made in the image of God. And we have to exercise restraint. And we have to be careful that we don't succumb to the temptation to abuse that authority. And so I, I would tell people, look, the gospel speaks to police brutality, when we see people gunned down, when we see unarmed citizens gunned down, you know, when we see people that are simply trying to comply with police orders shot, uh, you know, multiple times while sitting in their car, then we know something is wrong. Something is very, very wrong. And we need to ask God to, to, to heal, heal our country. But we also need to say that the, that the salvation that the Lord has revealed calls us to more than that. Calls that calls us to restraint in policing, calls us to 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 something to a higher standard. So, yeah. Um, on my end, I would say, kind of, you know, three things. Uh, one is there's a a deep pride issue with with all this, and I think people need to recognize that uh, conversations can't happen until until you address your inner your inner pride issue. And just kind of to backdoor off of what Michael was saying in, in Luke four, uh, when Jesus returns back to his hometown and he's talking, he's in the temple and it's a, in the synagogue. And he's, he's talking to, you know, he's talking to the Jews and 
he reads a prophecy about himself and he says, hey, today's been fulfilled. And everybody's like marveling at what he's saying. And then all of a sudden he, he goes back to two Old Testament references and he, and he says, hey, you know, back in the day, Elijah got sent to the widow and then Elisha got sent to the leper. And it's at that point that that the Jews realize that, hey, this this guy is, is talking about opening up the kingdom to a lot of people. And that's the point where they want mm. to throw him off the cliff. You know, and so I think there's a deep pride issue um, and, you know, intrinsically in all of us, whether it be black, white, American, you know, we have this pride issue. And until we can address our pride, drop that and, and really sit at the feet of people and listen to what the next point is, is pain, man. There's there's a deep pain that people have. And like I said earlier, just invalidating that by saying, hey, all lives matter. That's not helpful. That's not helpful at all. Like when someone's hurting and saying, hey, I'm hurt. And I I can identify with this because I've been through something like this myself. And so I just want to express to you how I'm feeling. And I, and I really don't I may not want you to fix it right now. I just want you to hear me out and to, and to say, hey, man, I, I love you. You know, mm-hmm. um, right. and then there's just like a proximity factor as well. Um, it's hard to it's hard to identify with people you're not close to. You know, and if if you if you go into your phone and you look at the last 20 people you texted and none of them are black, (laughs) it's hard to it's hard to connect with that. It's hard to it's hard to understand, you know. And so just yesterday um, I was at Taco Joint. So me and my community group, we go to Taco Joint almost every Thursday and the manager comes around. He takes a picture and he wants to take a picture of us, takes a picture. He's like, I'm going to put it on the wall. And so. I've been to that place probably about 50 times already, <laughs> and I have never noticed that there, that there are pictures on the wall of customers until I literally walked past hundreds of pictures and never noticed that until it was about me, mm-hmm. you know, and it was at that point that I realized, hey, there's pictures on the wall because I got in the experience, you know, and, yeah. and I, I was telling somebody the other day, man, just experience breeds empathy with people. Yep. And so until you can experience these things for yourself like it's, it's it is hard to just say hey that hurts man and I have no idea what that feels yeah. like but I think so many times you guys are th- this is so helpful and I think um you know I, my circle of friends and influence is predominantly white and part of that's where I live and where I work and mm-hmm. I, I think in in the recent events and last week's tragedies I think a lot of people as as one of the ministers here looked at me and just said hey what do we do and I think this kind of stuff also happens when somebody loses their parent or somebody experiences a death or there's a trauma. There's this, I want to do something, Mm -hmm. but I don't know what to do. And I certainly don't want to offend. I just feel Mm -hmm. like there's a high likelihood I'm going to say something Mm -hmm. stupid or offensive or, and so what are, what are ways just, what are ways that your white friends or even any friend for that matter have been able to minister to you in moments, you know, when, when those police officers in our backyard were gunned down, then suddenly we were empathetic because we mm-hmm. felt like we were a part of it. And mm-hmm. then as people reached out and said, hey, I'm so sorry for what happened in your city, that that speaks to me. And so what are ways just as tragedy strikes or as these um, when injustices occur, what are ways that people can reach out and, and really show empathy and con- concern and care so that we know, hey, we want to express we're in this together. How do I do that? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think private uh, private forms of empathy, personal forms of empathy, you know, phone calls. You know, call somebody up, you know, and, and don't call them up with, like, the five reasons why you're right about the conversation. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, just, just, just call them up and say, hey, look, you know, I know this must be terrible for you, and 
can you just tell me about your experience? I'm just so sorry that this has happened, you know, and just listen. Humility, intentionality, and measure. Just be humble in those conversations. Be intentional. Don't think that it's just going to happen by accident. And use measure. Don't say anything. That, I mean, just because you have a, a good apologetic retort to what this person is saying, you know, just it's not, that's not the time, you know, because we're called to, to rejoice with those who rejoice and to mourn with those who mourn. So this is an opportunity to just say, hey, look, you know, this is terrible. I know. I know you must be really hurting, and uh, I'm just here for you, and just willing to listen. And as my, as as uh, as folks within you know the church I serve have reached out to me with those kinds of words, the conversation has been great, you know, um, and very encouraging, you know, because it lets me know that um, regardless of social political persuasions, folks just you know they 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 care about me as a human being and as a brother in Christ. And, uh, and, and those things mean more than our sort of sociopolitical camps that we're in. So. Yeah, I was just going to say, I think um, if I could speak to just my white brothers and sisters that are listening, I think, and we, we talked about this actually last month, is that we live in a social media age. We live in, a, we live in an age where information is transmitted like literally beyond the speed of light. I mean, it's so fast. You just can't, you can't keep up with everything. It's yeah. exhausting. <laughs> so you like read Facebook and then go take a nap. <laughs> but, but, uh, but I mean, I would just say like, we need to be, we need to be sensitive to, to the issues and so much of what happens in the way that we communicate on social media, we're talking in those moments to like a general cultural um, phenomenon, if I could use that word. Maybe it's not the right word, but it's just the thing that's 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 uh, front and center right now. And a lot of times, because we see something, you know, as a white man, I, I mean, I'll just be honest. The first thing I thought when I saw, you know, those two uh, guys get shot and killed last week was, what were they doing wrong? Mm-hmm. You know. That's the very first thing that comes into my mind. So instead of me thinking, okay, now I have to push that thought out on social media and just show every show the world why why the cops were justified in this, or like we we take defensive positions and then we end up talking past one another. Um, and a lot of times we do that because we don't have a personal relationship with someone of the opposite color. Mm-hmm. Um, and and uh, and so it's so important. To one, evaluate ourselves, not just our actions, but also, Mikey, you said this in a talk I listened to recently, um, not just our actions, but also our thoughts. You know, yeah. what, um, what, what are those gut level instantaneous thoughts that we think when, when we see something like this? And evaluate those through the lens of the gospel. Allow the Holy Spirit to inform those. Do those line up with what Jesus would have us do or not? Um, and then I think... Um, I think you begin to critically evaluate your own life to say, hey, do I know a a black person at all? (laughs) You know, like have I I cultivated a relationship with an individual? And so I just just like we said in our apologetics webinar last month, we engage individuals. Um, We we can talk generally about culture, but you engage you engage a person. And so just the humanity of doing what you guys just said, like sit down, listen empathize, ask questions, um, seek to understand. Look, that doesn't mean, because I know inevitably somebody, you know, because in the back of my, my mind right now is like, look, this is not, a, this, I'm not talking about a blank check to say, okay, that means that, you know, where the black community is dysfunctional or is wrong, that I just like overlook all that stuff mm-hmm. and don't care about it anymore. 
Um, but it's it's engaging that it's engaging the individual. And at this, uh, even prior to looking at any of that stuff, looking at my own heart and being like, where am I dysfunctional? Um, how, how is my dysfunction, my sin framing the lens through which I'm viewing this? How do I need to humble myself? How do I need to um, be a part of uh, or to, to do what Paul says in Second Corinthians you know, five to be a minister of reconciliation, um, which is uh, the, the thing that comes out of the gospel? Yeah, that, that's a hard thing to do, uh, if you don't mind my just kind of interrupting, because I think um, when you are talking about your implicit bias, which, you know, sometimes people kind of, uh, you know, academics talk about this as implicit bias. What are the kind mm -hmm. of knee-jerk yep. re reactions and responses we have um, that when we have to make a split-second decision, you know, because our brain is always trying to, you know, we're making, ca we're, we're making value judgments when we, when, it, when we meet somebody in order to try to understand the situation. We, we make quick judgments, snap judgments, and that's the that's part of the way we we make our way in the world, you know. But we ought to recognize that the, that those snap judgments that we make, those knee jerk reactions, uh, are invariably tainted by sin, right? Mm -hmm. we, we, <laughs> we this is one of the things that sin does. It distorts fundamentally distorts the way we see one another because we are made in the image of God, uh, because we are made in the image of God, because sin has twisted our relationship with God. Uh, we are twisted in the way we relate to people made in his image. Mm. So we have to be very humble when it comes to the idea that we may be seeing people wrong and judging people wrong, you know. Uh, I, I think, and we've got to be honest about our history here. We, it, we don't come into, you know, so our nation is not neutral when it, term, when it comes to blackness. Right. You know, and I, I, you know I'm, it's just not. You know, we have a very, I mean, it, we have a very long, we have centuries long uh, history that has disparaged and demeaned blackness as 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 being inferior, you know. And and the church has been right in the middle of that. Um, yeah, it's been complicit in that. Absolutely, it has been, you know. And so, you know, so we've got to be, you know, so we so we don't come to this, we don't come to this neutral, you know. And I and and that, that actually even impacts African Americans too. I mean, I think a lot of people are surprised. Uh, when they find out that you know African Americans are privy to the same images and messages uh, that everybody, everyone else is, you know, and so you know, we've got to be honest about that history, and and then we've got to ask the Lord to to really heal our hearts, um, and 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 to really uh, make us countercultural, where we have found ourselves buying into those uh, those sinful. You know assumptions about others. You know, are, are that they, they, they're somehow. I mean, you can even think about this. If we were to change the races, just the races of the people involved in this incident, and I'm not, you know, I'm not saying, you know, I mean, I just, I just, if we would be honest with ourselves about what happened to Philando Castile, uh, if we were to change the races of the people involved, would that change our knee-jerk reaction? You know, mm -hmm. if we were to change uh, even the the gender of the people involved, you know, if we were talking about a black cop that opened fire. On a white uh, a white woman in the car, yeah. how would that have changed the way we saw that? Sure, right. Yeah. And and I'm certain that it would change the way a whole lot of people saw that. Yeah. You know, and because of that, we know that we have an issue. It's not that one life is more valuable than the other, but why do we have these different reactions? You know, so great. Uh, so we. Yeah. Hey, so Mikey, just to we're getting close to wrapping up, but I want to you know I think a, a lot of my friends who who deeply love the Lord would just tell you, hey, prior to hitting home for them, they hadn't really considered a lot of these things. And history books are written often by white men and, and presented in a way that is 
is it's easy to ignore um, just how blackness has been looked upon so negatively in our country. And I think sometimes people think 40 years is enough time to just let bygone be bygone. And so what would you say are resources, you know, blogs that you subscribe to, books you've read for your thesis? What are what are resources that people can grab, read, listen to that would help bring understanding and empathy to this issue and and just for people to be able to, to look into more deeply? Thanks a lot. Um, thank, great question. Um, one of the one, one great resource is a book called Divided by Faith by a guy named Michael Emerson, um, and really it's it's a book that looks at uh, it looks at the history of the of, of the church in America and talks about the racial divide between whites and blacks in the church in America and uh, and, and and the reasons behind those that divide and how oftentimes that divide is even worse in the church than it is in the world. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so if we look at that. Uh, that, that book has been tremendously helpful for actually even the congregation that I serve is a cross-cultural congregation. So, I'm a, so I pastor a church that is actually predominantly white. And, uh, but that church has been, you know, New City Fellowship, I, I, the church I serve has been tremendously blessed by that book. Um, another book is uh, Stride Toward Freedom, which is uh, Martin Luther King Jr.'s memoir of the Montgomery bus boycott. Mm-hmm. And uh, in that book, he really lays out much of the kind of the, the theology behind the movement, you know, and you kind of get a sense of what might this, you know, what, what does it look like when, um, when Christians uh, sort of uh, apply the gospel to the issue of, of race relations in America. So that's a practical kind of book to check out as well. Um, and, you know, I always, I'm, you know, anything, you know, I'm always pumping Dr. King, so, you know, <laughs> so anything you can read about <laughs> Dr. King is fine. <laughs> So, uh, but 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 those are two at the top of, of the list. Uh, one one fat one final one I mentioned is is called uh, is one called the Justice Calling. It's a relatively new book written by uh, a woman named Kristen Johnson, who is a theologian here uh, in West Michigan, um, and she actually um, it's not this book is not explicitly about race, but it actually develops a biblical theology of justice that can be easily applied to the issues of race. You know, so um, that's going to help people—people people who are really, uh, you know, gospel people, Bible people. It's going to help them to understand how the gospel calls us to pursue justice. Yeah, mm-hmm. Philip, you want to jump in? Any recommendations? Yeah. Um, right now, I'm reading Bloodlines by John Piper. It's excellent. Uh, talks about just different, you know, all all the issues, you know, beyond that that people bring up when when this Black Life Matters kind of thing pops up. You know, the the issues beyond the white on you know white on black cop killings like the actual like hey what's what's going on in fatherhood and education wise Mm -hmm. and he kind of quotes a bunch of different you know black authors and um, those issues and just gets into the core of like how's the gospel impact all of this so yeah I would definitely recommend Bloodlines. That's great I would add to it Mike is too humble to plug himself so Nate and I were both tremendously blessed by um, Mike gave I think uh, maybe a plenary session at the Gospel Coalition Conference. Micah, is that right? Is that what that was when you did? Is the Black Lives Matter movement the same as the civil rights? Is that is that what that was? Was the session yeah. for them? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it was at uh, colloquium uh, for the board members of the Gospel Coalition, and uh, it was my first time at one of those colloquiums, and uh, and they yeah, they kind of made me the sacrificial lamb uh, by asking me. <laughs> <laughs> well. I- I listened to it, and you, you, you did an awesome job, man. It was great. Appreciate that. Thank you so much. A lot of the resources they just named are in that race resources handout that's on this webinar, so you can download that. 
and have it. And then I would also encourage you to, Tony Evans has done a small group study that if you're a Watermark member, you actually get uh, the Right Now Media access for free. So there's a link on there that you can follow, register for free, and then you have access to, um, there's actually tons of stuff on Right Now Media, but but uh, Tony Evans' small group study on race is on there as well. We'd encourage you guys to look out. Maybe as a community group, y'all could go through. This would definitely be a good time to explore that. Yeah, it's excellent. Sylvia, any last minute questions? You know, I don't think any of that could be answered in the in just a in couple of minutes. minutes. <laughs> so for anybody that had sent in some questions, we'll be sure to, to follow up. And then specifically the Bloodlines book sounded like a good resource for some of those folks that were reaching out asking about um, family planning and life and, and things like that. Um, just to quote a couple of the questions that came in. So yeah, we'll follow that's up. Great. That's great. Well, um, guys, uh, thanks for your time. We're, we're drawn to a close here. I want to um, do a couple things before we before we leave. But uh, thank you for your time and and uh, for your input, Micah, for your work. I know as a doctoral student myself, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm I both appreciate what you did and I'm also jealous that you're done. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, praise the Lord. There's hope. Yeah. You, you too will get, will get across the Jordan. <laughs> yeah, that, there's right, yeah, uh, yeah. darkness, but that's right. But man, I would uh, just as to to just practice what we're preaching here as a white male sitting in front of two of my black brothers, I want to ask for y'all's forgiveness uh, for any real or perceived prejudices that that I've held in my own heart for for being a part of a community that has propagated through centuries something that is anti-gospel that's that's against what God would have us do. And so will you please forgive me? Yes, I forgive you, man. Absolutely, brother. Absolutely. Love it. Well, um, Jesus, help us. Help us all. Um, we need your help. We need um, uh, we need to look at ourselves in the mirror and we need to evaluate through the power of your spirit the deeply ingrained sin in all of us. And um, And I pray that you would um, continually transform us into the image of your son, Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. that we might be the type of people who image your son, Jesus, and and minister the gospel to a world that is crazy. Mm-hmm. And the only answer out there for any of this is uh, the gospel of your son, Jesus Christ. And so we pray for your help. We're thankful for these times where we can sit down and and talk as brothers and sisters and walk away equipped and encouraged to uh, walk in step with your spirit. So um, we offer you the rest of this day and uh, pray that you would use it for your glory. Um, Pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, by the power of the spirit. Amen. Amen. All right, guys. Well, thanks. I think next next month we're yeah. I'm excited. We're gonna Adam Tarno is gonna be joining us, and Adam and I will be speaking about how to how to minister to millennials and what is postmodernism and how can we as a church instead of constantly decrying it, get ahead of it and, and love folks who think in that way. And so it, it'll be a great time. So join us in a month. Well, thanks again, guys, and all of our listeners. Y'all have a great day, and we'll hopefully see you next month.